I know there are a lot of foreign um, students in the audience, and uh, for all the problems that journalists have in the United States, they're tenfold around the world. A hundred, more than 100 journalists have been killed in Iraq, some 60 in Colombia, and in, in uh, Algeria and across the Middle East. They have really the hardest uh, job, and they are the ones that really need your support, and they are really the courageous people out there in the world. So I'd like to stop there and to take some of your questions now. And since I'm always the one giving the hardest questions out, I think it's you know, only fair that uh, you can turn the tables. And I'll try. OK. Hello, uh, I'm Lad Ofek from uh, Hebrew University in Israel. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about uh, using journalists uh, as a cover for other activities, uh, as we have seen in uh, the Gaza Strip uh, a, few, a few weeks back, and when they used the uh, press uh, car as a way of trying to move, move a, bomb, a bombing uh, explosive uh, into Israel. And I wanted to ask, as a reporter that travels around the world, do you feel that these kind of activities endanger as freedom of press, or do you feel that, how do you think both sides should react to this kind of uh, activity. Well, I wish there were, you know, a law that someone would follow and say you can't imitate a journalist because it's it's got it's got danger written all over it. You know, at one point a couple of years ago, the CIA had this pr very active proposal to um, to put their own people in, uh, give them give them journalist cover, and uh, it's one of the only times that all these competing organizations got together and they really went together to the White House and to the agency and said, you should not do this under any means because obviously, what it, then what is that going to do to the next journalist who actually manages, like our last speaker, to get close to Al-Qaeda? Are they going to suspect that that person really is not a journalist? You're talking about another case of this in which, um, you know, bad guys are using journalism as a cover. And there's, um, there's not much that journalists can do about it, but expose it and then you know, try to write about it. And, uh, and that's about it. Unfortunately, you know, we don't, it's a very unregulated industry. And the, the fact of the matter is anybody can put on a press credential and say they're a journalist. So it makes it particularly difficult. But that is not to say that we should be, you know, regulated a lot more because the, the whole, uh, you know, the whole free flow of ideas has to be to some extent unregulated by by governments. So you've identified a really difficult problem to deal with. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for taking uh, questions this morning. Uh, my name is Patrick Conley. I'm a Zuckerman Fellow at uh, Harvard Business School in the Kennedy School of Government. Um, I think it might be a bit of an understatement to say there's a fair amount of frustration amongst uh, junior military officers in Iraq in terms of uh, the reporting that's going on, in terms of when they give interviews with reporters and then what they actually see that comes out. Hmm. Um, I, would, I, would, I guess what I'd like to ask, what advice would you have for a junior military officer, particularly one that recognizes the importance of uh, public diplomacy? in approaching a reporter or so, say someone like you that comes up with you know, tennis shoes and not fancy shoes, um, asking questions um, such as you would ex you know, expect to ask, what advice would you have for those junior military officers who are really trying to do the best they can and trying to get the word out to uh, the American people about what they are doing uh, on the ground? 
Well, there's two things. One is, you know, not to be surprised if what journalists focus on is the, uh, in, in Iraq, in a war situation, is the casualties and what you would, what the military always calls the negative news. Because what we're really trying to do is assess the situation on a day-to-day -day basis. And when there's so much violence in a place, it's, it's not responsible for us to ignore it. It is, however, important to strike a balance. And so when there is positive news, to go and also write about that. Because our role is not to decide that the war is lost. Our role is to really try to give the most honest assessment of it. Unfortunately, for a single journalist in any place, you see, as the military likes to call it, the soda straw view of things. You can't necessarily see everything. My best advice is really very simple, which is to try to deal honestly with them and to show them you know, who you are as a person. The military after Vietnam had just huge setbacks, obviously, with the media. There was a lot of angst and a lot of hatred, really. And people would go speak in forums and, and, and uh, really a lot of hostility. And the military came out of that because they learned that if you want to shape the story, if you want to have some kind of impact on how the reporter is going to see what they're looking at, uh, you got to engage because chances are your view can get incorporated with that. So I'm all for uh, more access to the person than less. I had a, a, I was embedded with the military, you know, before that term was a common usage before the Iraq War, and that and that's my fly in the wall journalism. And what that does to you as a journalist, first of all, is to say you don't have the answers. You might have some stereotypes of what military people are like, of how a war or a mission is going. But when you get down on the ground with people, you realize that almost everything is gray. And everything you thought of is different than when you came in. People are motivated by uh, different factors. And usually, even controversial decisions, even the secret prisons, I mean, those were not set up by evil people who wanted to uh, you know, destroy our values. They were set up by people who thought they were doing the best and safest thing that could be done for the United States. So again, engaging, talking, uh, taking the risk with journalists. Now, if the person turns out to be a jerk, and you can kind of sense that right away, you know, then you don't engage. So that's my best advice. Thank you. Ma'am, my name is Vincent Salomino. I'm from the University of Scranton. And uh, I guess I'm concerned about what I, I like to call the blitzerization of journalism, which is really the herd mentality and the shift in your coverage yeah. of the war. I mean, from kind of drumming the beat, the march to war, mm -hmm. and accepting anonymous sources, and, and really not necessarily questioning the intelligence. And that's been proven through Judith Miller and the New York Times and even your newspaper. So my question to you would be, do you think that the media in America has some responsibility to bear for this war because they did not sufficiently question our leaders? Absolutely. And that's the point I was making before. I think if I look at the Washington Post coverage, we had a team of national security reporters. We were all focused before the war on the war. It was a difficult subject to penetrate because it was in a classified world and very technical. There were some reporters who were better than that. We're talking one or two people. And when they got 
information that was contrary to the huge drumbeat that the president has at his disposal because he has the podium, he has surrogates, he has a huge force of uh, propaganda, and I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but he just has the podium. And you've got a couple reporters, individuals, finding, well, not quite, this isn't quite so. What we found at the paper was those stories often got on the front page, but often they didn't. They were often relegated to the back. And we've done a lot of soul searching about why that was and that it should never happen again because the cost of war is too dramatic. And yes, I do think that in general, the media was sucked into the belief that this would be easier than it's turned out to be. And the only, uh, the media is self-regulating. Like I've said before, there isn't, you know, a uh, police or regulation that comes around and says, you know, you really blew it on that story, so you can't publish anymore. It's really the public, and that's why I view the interactivity of the public with the media as as great. You know, that we have to respond to your letters to the editor, and we have to respond sometimes to the, the massive blogs that come in and say, well, why didn't you cover that? And what we've done as an institution is to create media critics, and I think we need double the number of media critics that we have. This is particularly a problem in television, and, and then also in the blogosphere, which unfortunately in my mind is getting melted together with the mainstream media, of which I'm a part. And as you know, the, blog, the blogosphere has, uh, has no regulation on it just about. So yes, I think the media has to continually look at, at itself and to be responsive to the public and that the public should criticize the media when they think they've fallen down on the job. Last question. Okay, Hi. last question. My name's Alice Poole. I'm at Georgetown Public Policy Institute and I'm British. And I just wanted to thank you very much for your, um, um, the, the piece on extraordinary editions, which I thought was quite brave and brilliant and insightful. Okay. Um, so thank you for that. And it was, for me, it was exactly the right balance between challenging decisions rather than personalities. And that comes to my question. When I was 22, I decided I was in student politics and heavily involved, and I decided that the, the, the media vilification of people on a personal level made me decide I didn't want to go into politics. Um, and I was just wondering what you thought the press's responsibility was to have a better analysis of decision-making, keep people accountable, absolutely, but not to vilify them on a, on a personal level? Well, um, you know, I think that it is a, the responsible media try to strike a balance. And it's one reason I've never covered politics, to be, to be frank, because um, when, because I don't care about that that part of it, uh, and I don't want to want to spend my time at it. Character is important, but there's so much trivia out there about people that it's it's ridiculous. And the only answer that I really have is why is there a market for that? I mean, you can only blame the media so much. Why do people tune into these shows in which, you know, some incredibly minor a foible of and a leader who's done great things gets to be such a big issue. I don't know, but it's there. And if it weren't there, and if the demand for that wasn't there, they'd stop. So I do think that is a huge problem. It gets worse as television gets more powerful and as the blogosphere. I mean, look at what they're doing with the campaigns now. Anybody in the campaigns in the United States, 
the blogs have become incredibly powerful. This thing about you know the woman dancing in her bikini with Obama, I say to myself, what planet am I living on that this not only, you know, okay, is viewed by a lot of people, but gets then on CNN and on you know the the Sunday talk shows, which in which policy were supposed to be debated. I don't know how to stop it. My own personal decision is I'm not going to be a part of it, and I'm going to try to write stories that will compete with those kind of stories, bump them off the front page. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.